Lights. Camera. Cinematic. Cinematic. Damn it, Jonathan. Wait, I wasn't... Ah, roll it. Ah. <laughs> roll it, intro. Roll it. We're rolling that intro. Rolling that intro. Wait, wait, I'm too, I'm too defined to sing. Oh, that's... I'm sorry uh, for everyone that can't sing. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing this song specifically dedicated to Jonathan. I'm too distinguished. I'm rolling that intro. I'm too distinguished. I'm rolling that intro. Smoking the pipe. Rolling that intro. Tobacco pipe, people. For those of you who can't see, jeez, it's yes, not that kind yeah. of podcaster, right? Please. All right. Welcome to Triskelion Productions, where I am your host, Jonathan Gondois, and my. Mm-hmm. A singer friend over here who was missing some symbology in his music. Rick Asovedo, as always, with me. How are you doing on this fine, beautiful day? Um, good. I'm a little frightened by this whole new thing, but you know, I I can I I'm good. How are you doing, um, Sir Jonathan? Oh yes, I am pish posh, cheerio on top of the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have recently uh, just discovered a new seaweed butter that is made off the coast of southern France, which I used this morning with my over-medium egg, mm, very on the soft side. It was a very good morning, and I had so, some apricots. Wait, wait, wait a second. Um, was the egg soft or was the butter soft? The butter was soft with a little bit of a seaweed algae taste, which purred perfectly with my Italian herb, freshly baked bread. Then I had a soft, medium, towards the soft side, boiled egg. See, with some apricots. Was the bread also soft? Because that can be a sign of dangerous things. No, I did toast it, but not in a toaster. I used a conventional oven. (laughs) Not like poppers. Uh. Art takes time, sir. Perfection. Okay. Yeah. Takes time. Dude. Oh, um, yes. You know what's really yes, good? I am... Hot pockets are great in the morning. I <laughs> guess. <laughs> Speaking of hot pockets, uh, what have you watched recently of this uh, week? You know what? Me and my kid, who's not a kid anymore, obviously, um, have been watching the uh, Disney Plus series, The Legend of the Three Caballeros, which is a 13 episode series. It's a very. Um, very short season where normally everything else is usually 26 uh, episodes. We also watch DuckTales, by the way. Great, great, great finish to that uh, show. But uh, I love Legend of the Three Caballeros because it's got the sort of traditional art style with the new kind of digital finish. And, and it's the one thing that I noticed about it, it was well-written. It wasn't really a kid's show. It was disguised as a kid's show, which makes it... Um, my favorite sort of type of animation. Um, and I know that here I don't talk that much about animation that I watch. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about it in the past in the podcast and stuff like that. But uh, I was watching that and I, was, I really, really um, enjoyed it. Kind of got into it. I don't know if they'll have a second season or not. But, hey, you know, they did a good job on the first one. So, Oh, I will always like art and I shall see art. I myself was watching uh, Lawless, which was based on a true story about... American bootleggers 
during the uh, uh, Great Depression time, as you know, when the uh, poor people didn't have enough to eat. Ah, uh, such a shame. Or, or drink. Or drink. Yes, yes. Drink or shame. Yes, as we always know, and I can't keep up this voice any longer, and for all those... Thank goodness! <laughs> for all of those who can't see me on the podcast today, I am wearing a great turtleneck and uh, got my glasses on because uh, I gotta ask you one question. of the things is it cold yep. out there? Is it cold out there? No, it is ninety-two degrees, so we are man, very warm. Man, <laughs> I was gonna say because unless it's like you know some kind of slow like, like bad washingtonian temperature i'm like wait a minute um he must be burning hot in that that's a, that's a serious winter attire man hey listen i know i have the lights on it's in the 90s and i am wearing a turtleneck sweater but you know you have to suffer good. for art good. yeah it looks right I, I, hey man it looks great <laughs> i'm kidding out there you do not have to <laughs> please don't suffer if you uh, if we don't like you please suffer as much as you can um, if, we do, if we do like you, then by all means, uh, don't suffer because we don't want you. Okay. But no, I actually watched Lawless. It was a movie that I remember a long time ago, someone said I wouldn't like. Uh, and so I've never watched it. And I finally said, you know what? I'm going to watch this movie. So I sat down and watched it. It was okay. Uh, uh, it's an older one, Lawless. But I also was watching Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. I'm trying to work through my Netflix queue. I heard, I heard that that was... Um... Fairly, is it is it good? Because I, I mean, I've heard good things about it, but honestly, I haven't gotten around to watching it. I think it starts better than it ends. I think I think it starts losing its pace around towards episode six. It's eight episodes, uh, and then it kind of gets predictable, redundant. Their budget, you can see the constraints. Uh, you know that just kind of happened towards the end. I was like, yeah, this you know, is you know, that, you know, they spent it all on crafty man. Uh, those <laughs> those those cost can get so expensive sometimes. Yeah, so yeah, some things that they build up don't pay off towards the end visually. When they pay it off verbally, it, it didn't pay off. How, how would you how would you compare it um, to Watchmen, for example? Because I I love Watchmen, the the series. I loved it. The Watchmen series is a better series, hands better down. series than the Watchmen yeah. series is better. So they're both trying to say something. But I think Watchmen does it. 10 times better whereas jupiter legacy just keeps hitting the same metaphor over your head over and over again and you're kind of like i get the point and we never get a further discussion of it uh they're still just trying to hammer out that one point where i think watchmen really examine its themes uh the hbo series of course we're talking yeah. about <laughs> really examine its themes so watchmen is hands down a better a better, film. Uh, a better one mm -hmm. um and both of them i'd have to say budget wise watchmen did a better use of using its budget. Um, yeah, no doubt. I thought it, it was. Makes sense. I, thought it, I haven't seen um, that the show that you just mentioned, but I did see Jupiter's Legacy, which um, man, I was really, I absolutely loved that show. Um, just loved it, and can't really. I mean, I like Watchmen, the comic book. Kind of, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about the movie, and I always was. After I watched it, I thought I was like, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. But um, the show, I thought, did such a better job of, of establishing the main characters, especially um, Dr. Manhattan and the built Dr. Manhattan. It was, yep. I don't know. But that's just... Um, you no, know. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, it was... It's such a good... The Watchmen series was such a good series itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved, I loved the series. Jupiter Legacy, again... 
they have a lot of superheroes, so they'll have a lot of action, but they kind of blow their budget in individual episodes, where I think Watchmen was a better use of, we're only going to use superpowers superheroes really when it matters, and so therefore those effects get better, and it's not overly used. So here the superheroes are active, they're alive in the world, and I understand the need to use superpowers and so these super action scenes, but it's just stretching their budget thin, and so what they tried to replace it with was just hitting itself their whole head with the themes they're going to explore instead of actually letting the theme run through run through this series, the episode, mm. right? Mm. And make it the center focal point. Because if you're going to do that, uh, I think that's my main thing where I think Watchmen did it well and Jupiter's Legacy did not. You should, you should, know, where to start, you should know where to start your arc and where to finish it, not... Yes. You know, and if you're and if it's going to be self-contained and building building towards something on the end, because that does happen sometimes, and you need to know how to do that also, and that's that's kind of complex to do. Um, but yeah, I have you know um, that's interesting to note, you know, to hear. Yeah. No spoiler review, but I'm just going to say this at the end: it's it does something that Mortal Kombat did. Everybody's doing right now. See, just you, set up the next. You just, just set up the next one. You just killed like, it. You just killed it by saying Mortal Kombat, man. That gives me that gives me both but, headaches. But it's true. Justice League Snyder. I mean, all these things that we've been saying. One of the things I really hate is the set up the next one. And I'm like, don't stop setting up the next one. Which is why I think Watchmen was brilliant in of itself. It had its contained story arc. It ended it. It had a story to tell. It ended that story. You can do a sequel, but you don't have to keep dragging on these lines. You can play something up and yeah, it. starting on so the, starting on the second, like starting on the you know, can just hanging off of the first story and not not having a clear clear cut deal. It's just annoying at the end of the day. Well, it- well, it also goes against story structure. If you're filmmakers out there and learn, uh, you know. Good story structure, not that you can't set up sequels, but after you have your climax and you go to your Delamon kind of explain everything, that needs to make everyone feel, um, feel, I don't know why I'm forgetting the word, but satisfied. There goes the word. Yeah, that's the word. Satisfied. And if you don't have that satisfied Delamon after the climax, then that kind of just leaves people like, ugh and wanting right that's the that's the ickiness feeling sometimes if you can't describe it or go oh, i just don't like the ending or i feel they didn't wrap this up or i didn't feel satisfied that's usually because in story structure after climax your big climactic battle whatever needs to happen in the story there's always a period of cooling off called your del month that you kind of explain things and wrap things up for everyone in your story doesn't mean it has to end good or happy but there needs to be things that kind of just wrap them up not that you can't um, circumvent them, such as the Coen brothers do famously, which is why I don't like them. I don't. I hate their non-endings. Uh, uh, that's just that's just me. I don't know how you feel about the Coen brothers. To me, um, to be honest with you, I've only seen I believe it was all the way through like one Coen brothers movie, and it was um, it's called The Man That Wasn't There, and honestly, um, loved the cinematography in it. Oh, great. Loved, loved a lot of what was going on in the film, and but then the end, I was just like, "Come on, man! You you could have done way better than that." Yeah, that, that, I think that was... whole ending was just, and it, when endings are all about just, you know, 
let's leave everyone guessing, you know, that whole Sopranos thing where everyone's been having a conversation about the Sopranos ending. And funny that I should bring that up because, it, you know, James Gandolfini was also the man that wasn't there, but that Sopranos ending where it's like, oh my God, it's happening, it's happening, it's finally, and two big fingers right mm. in front of you. It's the dream se- sequence season. It's like a big F you. Yep. That's it. It's the Game of Thrones finale. <laughs> I'm giving you I'm giving you what I want to give you and you can interpret it however the hell you wish and it's going to continue to make me relevant for the next 15 years because you'll still be talking about it then. Uh mostly out of anger though and frustration. Yeah. So I'm yep. not can't say that I'm a huge fan. Again, I love the way their films are are put together and usually the story's pretty well told throughout, but it's that ending part that usually just kind of, kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and I get it. And emotions, feelings, bringing stuff for everyone, which is what we're actually going to talk about today, is That's one right. of the reasons I know myself, and maybe it's the same true for Rick, got into film and stuff, inspired us to become filmmakers in this sense, in this way. Because as you see, as we felt emotional, we have people that we like and dislike, uh, art itself, filmmaking, it's a form of art, brings emotions, bring conversations. And usually everyone finds a different path to being there. And you may have your own too, but we want to talk a little so you get to know a little more about your host, us, kind of what we did, why we got into it. You already heard the story about, and if you haven't, go and listen to our podcast with our lovely partner, Ali, about how we started Triskelion Productions. But I think more than that, you need to hear why we even like films, why we're into films, what got us into us, what was our journey? Yours may be similar. Maybe it'll help you find your own path and way to it or, or back to it if you've been away from it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so you, you want, I can tell you, you want me to start since I know I'm, I'm the talker of the group. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, because I, you know, you you never talk. I just talk all the time. Uh, <laughs> These are lies, conjecture, river and you end up. Go ahead, Donovan. No, How did, so, what, what was it that, that, what was the, because everybody has a specific moment. What was your specific moment, the one time in your life, because I know you studied theater, so obviously you have a more performance-based background. Yes. What was that one moment that led you to say, okay, this is what I want to do. So even though I'm a very empathetic man, I like to say this, if you meet me, I show a lot of love. I love everyone. I tell everyone that I love them. I'm a hugger, all this stuff. Unless but when it comes popcorn. to crying, I can probably count how many times I've cried in my life. I am not a crier, okay? Uh, <laughs> I never cry, which is weird. People see me very being very emotional at times. They think I'm a crier, but I never am. So I can tell you when I was young, so I'm gonna take this back. I just wanna set that up for everyone so they know. I am not a crier. I'm not a person who cries. But I can remember sitting back in my day being seven years old. So, yep, it's back there. I was living in New York City at the time. Uh, my sisters were busy. My mom was busy. And I got to sit down and watch a movie. Now, I've only ever saw this actor once, right, before, I think, in something that my mom and dad watched that I could kind of remember and gently, but I didn't know much about it. But I, as a little kid, was a huge buff, historical buff. I loved, like, learning about wars and other stuff. I know, I'm a weird kid. No, but I loved, I loved Wait a minute, nice. that's not weird, dude. That's not weird, because I was the same way. No, yeah. 
Yeah, history, history was my Joe. favorite subject in, in school, as yeah, even as a I, kid. So yeah, I love my G.I. Joes. I love like knights and sword and sorceries. I always loved like, so I loved anything about like conflict and wartime and soldiers and all this other stuff. So I popped in a movie called Glory. It had Matthew Broderick in it. And Fantastic. originally that's why I watched it because of uh, Princess Bride. Why am I forgetting his name? I know this very Harry well. Always. Yes, Carrie Elways. Uh, Carrie Elways and Matthew Broderick, because I've already seen The Princess Bride, I believe. That this, or was Princess Wait, Bride Ma after Matthew this? Broderick wasn't in Princess Bride. No, 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 no. Carrie Elways was. Carrie Elways, uh, yeah. but I know, But I knew I recognized them, too. That's the only two that I knew going into the movie. That's yeah. kind of like, I was like, oh, I know these people. I'm going to watch this, right? Uh, so I watched it for them, too. Uh, and the performances in Glory, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a fantastic movie. It has some problems in the lensing and the framing, but still, uh, I can appreciate it for what that movie is. But it's basically about white officers who take a black regiment uh, in the Civil War and their journey and guide to this black regiment and fighting. That's the general story of it. Um, so through this, so I'm excited, want to see it. I got a young black kid, love to see the empowerment. And then there's this scene in there when one of the soldiers has to get whipped because of um that's uh, the code yep yeah and it was denzel washington and his character i fell in love with him even as a seven year old i gravitated to everything that he said and Washington did in that movie and when he was getting whipped and there was a tear coming down his eyes and he was trying to hold it back because he didn't want to see anybody make him cry I bawled. I was bawling. Uh, and again, even as a kid, I wasn't crying much, but I bawled. And at the ending scene, because it is a war movie, and by the way, I'm spoiling it because this movie's like 30 years old now. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. So I'm just going to say it. But they all die at the end. So, and when they died, I couldn't help but cry. I own this movie. I love this movie. I don't watch this movie a lot because I cry every time I watch it. The performance of Denzel, which it got him actually, um, and a Oscar I think for best supporting uh, actor it was his first Oscar for, yeah, for best supporting actor uh, there, and that emotions that Denzel let me feel, and everyone in that Morgan Freeman, everyone, uh, the, everyone was great, but Denzel himself literally made me feel as a child made me cry and emote so much and something that I think I needed even as a seven-year-old. But in that point when he invoked that emotion, that was the point I was like, man, I would love to do that. That through just, through just my performance, through my storytelling, that I can evoke so much, <clears throat> sorry, so much emotion into something. And that to me was an amazing, it's an amazing gift, an amazing, talent to be able no to do that so as you know as i start growing up uh, a little more because i still remember that's my first one my mom was actually in one of the background scenes of malcolm x too so i got to see denzel act there and i also got to see denzel opposite bruce willis because i ran into a shot in new york when they were doing their terrorist movie about terrorist sack in manhattan this is pre 9 11. Uh, so <laughs> even back then even back then you're stepping in your own shot I was proving stepping into my body. Proving my damn point that you cannot have Jonathan <laughs> anywhere near camera because he's stepping into his own shot. <laughs> that is true. 
But uh, honestly, growing up, I, I started doing that. So I started looking for acting. Mm. Um, I, I had an agent. I was almost on the Cosby show, but I lost my two front teeth. Uh, maybe that's good. But, you know, I'm not a woman. I, nothing bad would have happened to me. But, uh, you know, so from there, I went to acting classes. I actually moved to Florida at a time when um, Universal Studios was doing, like, my brother and me, Gullah Gullah Island, all that. You know, when Universal Studios in Orlando had all that stuff going on. I tried out for a couple of background scenes. I got into all the performing arts, high schools, and eventually in college, I even studied theater, as Rick has mentioned as well. But some more politic things kind of got me. Uh, I still love performing. I still love the act of performance. So everything I kind of did was always performance adjacent. So even when I went finished schooling and went to grad school, I studied theater for development and social change about literally doing essentially for you guys to think of it, theater pop-ups in local communities uh, to talk about engagement and, and engagement. Uh, civil engagement and also activities and empowerment, self-empowerment. It was great. But again, it's that love of performance and theater and art that can bring so much joy and power to regular people. So following that and working at a film school and everything else, meaning Rick, my passion was always there. Uh, I've done some other stuff and some other credits, but they're, they're always, <laughs> there's always mine. I've always kind of been like, I'll help, I'll help, but never fully investing myself, but always having a love. So when Rick gave me the opportunity to fully invest myself into it, I, I couldn't, I could not, but uh, uh, do what I should have been doing yeah. the whole time. Does that make it, sense? <laughs> it does make sense. You know, you mentioned Glory. Um, I've watched that film countless numbers of times, honestly, and the the scene you mentioned is without a doubt one of the most powerful but the way that scene was paid out when morgan mm -hmm. freeman says the boy would just want us some shoes he just wants yep. to fight yeah and that i get wow dude it gives you goosebumps man. no it still makes me want to cry right now because yeah. it, first of all that is a perfect uh piece of, of filmmaking from from a storytelling yeah. perspective and everything and um, really telling everyone just, you know, what a film needs to be like. That right there, you can't really, you know, um, there's very few history pieces that are that recent mm -hmm. that you could say are that good. Yeah. There's, there's none, really. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Because I'm making, I know I'm making a generalization, and, and many people could argue that with me, and that's fine. But I'm just saying, yeah, people, glory, glory in and of itself was basically a perfect film in in a million levels. Um, no, and I know everyone loves Saving Private Ryan, but if you yeah. like Saving Private Ryan, check out Glory. It's a it's a great ensemble cast. Um, Especially people that usually don't get the spotlight in anything. Uh, but the problem, but, the problem, the minorities and everybody else. And I think it really, and it's really well played and acted and directed in costume pieces. I think it actually even has Frederick Douglass popping up in it, which I'm yeah. telling you a lot of films don't even show that, that person in there at all. So <laughs> I think it's fun. It's, uh, it's, um, I mean, you're not when you talk about glory you're talking about a point in time where there was slavery still in this country you're talking about things that are you know massive issues of of you know that required 
real social change. And, mm-hmm. and this was that sort of demonstration that, look, we can coexist. We can be better people. Let's, let's, let's do this. You know, yep. um, much like you could say years later in Schindler's List, you had one guy who's supposed to be a Nazi helping Jews through the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you show in a film like Saving Private, for Private Ryan, which was a great film, I'm not saying that it wasn't, but I'm, I'm saying Saving Private Ryan gave you the, the grit and violence of World War II. And you're yep. looking at the grit and violence of a war and what it does to human beings. This isn't just... Glory wasn't just about the war. That's not what it was about. It was. Yep. The, the war was the theater in which Glory was featured, but it was not about the war. There was mm-hmm. nothing in there. If you're thinking that that's a war movie, you're wrong. It's not a war movie. It's disguised as a war movie, but it's a movie... About... It's an ensemble movie where the where the setting is a war. Exactly, it's a theater. Yeah. That's it. No more, yeah. no less. Um, yeah. And and I and, and therein lies the difference. That's why I love Glory. My my route to where we're at now um, really was a little different. And it, I'm just like you. There's just that one spurring event that you remember your entire life. I was a kid. Um, I had to be maybe three years old. I, this is my first memory as a kid. All right, as a three-year-old kid. E.T. had just come out, and I went to see it first day. Um, I didn't know what E.T. was or what it was supposed <laughs> to be. Um, but from the minute that we got to the theater, and the theater was at a mall in um, in Puerto Rico uh, called Plaza Las Americas, which is like a huge mall and everything. It's like, you know, um, an enormous mall. They had like uh, a plex theater. I guess you could call it a multiplex because by then they had like the five or six screens, maybe more. E.T. was playing, and I mean, it was, everybody was lined up to the outside of the theater that's how many lines there were they had to set up merchandise tables outside because people were buying the little alien and stuff like that i watched that movie from beginning to end and it began a lifelong love affair with the magic of creating a story that's kind of outlandish but at the same time you know it's against a normal background that just blew my mind as a kid. And I could not tell you that that's what I was thinking as a child. But then mm-hmm. every time I went to see a movie, from that point on, I would remember, you know, now we go to films and it's like, yeah, we're going to the theater, whatever. It's not like a special moment. Back mm-hmm. then, every film for me was a special moment. So then, you know, Splash or Star Trek, The, the Search for Spock, all of these films were like special moment films that I could tell you that I remember exactly what happened the last stars what was it um, Empire Strikes Back was it the Empire Strikes Back that was number three in 83 or was it no Return, no, of, the Jedi. Return of the Jedi right at Return of the Jedi all of these things I, I, I started remembering and then I would for hours as a kid start having my action figures and I would like I would create like war scenes and stuff like that and from my little green soldiers to my star war figures to stuff like that i would figure out an entire story 
Um, eventually, I started using my VHS camera, <laughs> which wasn't mine, actually. I wasn't supposed to touch it. But, uh, you know, if my parents are listening, sorry, uh, that was me. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had, like, 20 movies and, like, one VHS tape. Um, and that was it. That was it for me because I wanted to be able to to tell the story, to share the story, and everything like that. And as I grew up, um, I started reading films on, reading books on filmmaking. And I was on the AV club, handling cameras. I was cameras, also in the AV club. Switching. Remember the switcher? I, oh, I used to use the switcher. Switcher, I, camera. Mm -hmm. It was it was switcher in the middle, um, character generator on the side, and then deck-to-deck yeah. -deck editing with yep. two monitors and like the it was a very you know rick and i studio. when we were both young have used uh i public access and using the twitch doc that i was on public access to switch for doing <laughs> yeah and using the switch decks oh yeah, we're young. switch decks yeah exactly <laughs> and you thought man you thought like when that when that switcher when the button when you took the the transparent button and it lit up you knew you were the man um yep. So that was that was it for me. Um, at that point, I knew that regardless of you know of how things were going to be, I was going to I was going to end up doing this. Of course, I went to college, studied organizational communication. Um, eventually, I was going to go to um, to law school, and I thought, you know what, it isn't for me. Um, I can't I can't do things that you know. No offense or disrespect to anyone, but that's not my vocation. And you gotta you gotta deal in life with what's your vocation, whether people understand you or not, whether people understand your thought process or not. That's not the way things work, you know. I, I you, you know can't what's funny? Do that. What's you up? know what's funny? Did I ever tell you? I don't think I knew that. Did I tell you? I almost went to law school as well. Really? <laughs> we are. Yeah, I took my stats and everything, applied and got into law school, and decided not to go. I just I went as far as taking the LSAT and I had a good enough score to what I I, I would have made into uh, into law school just fine. But when I started looking at law schools, I was like, I can't do this, and you know I, I really don't want to do this um, at mm -hmm. all. Like it doesn't Same. it's not my passion. And my uh, my ex wife, who's you know a dear friend of mine now, and and you know works with us in the capacity line producer and stuff like that. She actually shout like, out to her. You are amazing and wonderful. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Bless you always. Um, she actually printed out this book on uh, on screenwriting for me. She knew how much I love film and everything. She said, "Look, I don't, you know, I was very depressed and then she, you know, gives me this book and lets me you know, it tells me, read it whenever you're ready. It's like a 160-page book, all right, on how to become a writer. Um, and it was on from there, man. Eventually, I went to went to school, studied entertainment business, and uh, then I went on to uh, get a master's in creative writing. Um, and at that point, that began my thirst. And I have, like, I'm... I'm a I'm a junkyard dog when it comes to stuff like that, man. I mean, if I have a dream, if I have a thought process, man, I'm gonna bite down on it until it's mm -hmm. mine. Mm -hmm. And you know, it got to the point where finally I I did start making inroads in the industry and and getting some really good credits and stuff like that, working with uh, top of media and and reset and um, companies like that on pretty really big TV shows. But then I was like, okay, 
um, I'm still not doing what I want. I love what I'm doing, but I'm not doing what I want. Because I want to be my own person. I want to make films. I want to do this, this, and this. And um, really, you, you met me at a point in time where I was really just doing that. Getting ready to do that. And it just... It must have, I don't know, call it serendipity or whatever. We pretty kismet. much, yeah, kismet, you know. Um, <laughs> we were like, hey, I'm doing this. Want to do this? Let's do this. <laughs> whatever. But I never forgot really what led me there. Um, never forgot it, which was that first theater trip and I think that's the first time that I ever went, went to the movies because you don't take a two year old or a baby to the mm, movies yeah. my parents never did that just because they were like yeah I'm gonna want to be that person that has a crying baby that doesn't understand anything and is confused um, so there it was and then you know two documentaries and an upcoming series later here we are yep and I think one thing that you can hear from both of our stories is we've had this love since children and it's something that that we were nurturing as children, AV clubs and everything. But for one reason or another, we kind of moved away from, tried other stuff, but found out that that's still not us. <laughs> it kind of was like, I don't know why we're running away from this. <laughs> we the the thing the thing too, and this is Jonathan and I come from very similar backgrounds. Mm. Both our, our our fathers are you know mine was was because he's passed away since uh, rest his soul. You know, both our fathers were physicians and stuff like that. So we were exposed to the type of environment where you're basically told, go with what's closest to you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my brothers and sisters did that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you study medicine or you study law or, you know, stay in that because that's what's going to guarantee you um, mm-hmm. not just a steady paycheck, but a very good one and, and, and positioning and things like that. But that's also the way that things were back then that's how people thought yep. in those days yep and it i don't know about you jonathan but at first for me it was very hard to keenly communicate what it was that i wanted because i felt like i was being misunderstood 90 percent of the time it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have this conversation about what I am doing until you 100% get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I'm very familiar with that. Yep. It's not that I want you... you know, I, I, it's not that I'm looking for your approval or not. Because at, at that point, I, I, you know, I think you could probably definitely relate to this. It's like, very few people are going to understand us, the way we live our lives, the way we, we do things. So, um, well, screw it. I don't care. I don't need the approval. Yeah. I don't want the opinions or the input. I'm still going to do it. Mm-hmm. And only the people that are in it are going to understand me. And that's not by design. And it doesn't mean that we, yeah, oh my goodness, we come from you know terrible families. Didn't, no, it's just that some yeah. things are not meant to be understood by everyone. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I exactly agree. And I think one of these things, when we talk about inspiration in a film, and all of you out there may have your own, and I want you to really think about, uh, uh, and sometimes when you hear us talk and tell our reviews and everything, you can really see that not only are we passionate, we do have a love for like film. 
we have this overarching love for it. I cannot imagine, even though I hated Mortal Kombat and Justice, <laughs> Zack Snyder's got a Justice League, I can't imagine a world where movies didn't exist, period. You know what I mean? I love films. Yes. I love them. I feel so emotional from them because I want them to be the best that they could ever be. That driving love and passion. And that is something that I didn't feel about law school. That's something that I didn't feel about trying to go for med school and business and all this other stuff. This this idea of like, I'm so in love with it. Did you ever see G-Man? <laughs> you know, you know, but it's true. No, I'm, I, was I'm asking, so I was asking, did you ever take the GMAT? Because I took that one, no. too, because I thought about going to business school there for a little while, but... No, no just my GREs, my LSTATs, and um, I was prepping for the MCATs before I finally said, ah, I'm done with this. Done so, with I've taken a lot of standardized testing. <laughs> I was prepping for my MCATs. A lot, lot of studying and prepping for MCATs, uh, uh, but that just kind of went out the window because I said I'm not going to do it. But no, I, I did, but... All of those, I didn't have the love that I have in film. The way that I could talk about it, the way that I want to see it, the stories, the driven, the emotion, because something about art, even performance, or even me now, I want to more do directing than performance, even a performance background, is getting that feeling for the little me or the little Rick out there in the future that can find something and, and, and love it too. So when Rick says like, it doesn't matter if everyone understands you, it's not about that. It's about the people who understand. I feel, even though Glory was not made just for me, I feel that that movie had everything that was me. Does that make sense? <laughs> like my lines it, of what it, I was it, it basically It basically was imbued with what you would later understand to be your own es essence as an individual and as a creative person, which I yes. feel the same exact way um, about E.T. for different reasons. Because for me, I'm not a performer. Um, I can I could definitely talk on camera. I could do all of that. But I'm not a performer. And I'm keenly aware of that. But I love performing, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I love taking the time to sort of guide through that. And I had to do that when, and when I was in the voice franchise. I had to do that with kids that were performers but didn't have experience on a big stage. Mm. And that really was a great thing to do. It was a very enjoyable thing to do. When you see someone that's not... You know, they have the talent, but for the first time in their life, they're going out on a massive set, and that, you know, can become overwhelming, mm -hmm. and you're just basically, at that point, the person controlling, saying, look, don't worry about it, this is what you, what you have to do, yep. you know, um, and I love that, and I have, you know, I, there are times that I've been um, in places, and I've seen street performers, and I marvel sometimes at the level of talent that I see in street performers, but it's not just the level of talent, also the amount of love that they have for what they do, whether they're playing a classical music instrument or whatever. Um, I was having I was having a conversation uh, with someone about this at a time where I was talking about artists, right? And I right. said, well, an artist's nature is not to be humble. Right. As like artists aren't humble because mm -hmm. as artists, we seek fame and recognition. That's just the opposite of humil humility, but it's not a problem. Right. So when those kids need to be out there and they have this talent, if they're not a little braggadocious, right, if they can't explain themselves, they can't empower themselves to show 
their love on their shoulders and the heart and the sleeve to make you feel, then they're not going to be good artists, right? <laughs> See, they're not gonna make it. They're not gonna get the recognition. You have to be in love with what you're doing, right? Uh, and you gotta not be afraid to talk about it. We're on a pod, Rick and I are here on a podcast talking about art, our love for art, our own art. We're not humble. <laughs> and, no. and that doesn't mean we're not, we're not good people. That doesn't mean we're not empathetic. That doesn't mean that we're not kind, but I'm never gonna be humble about my love for art. I'm never gonna be humble about my films. I think they're great. I think you should watch it. I think if you get it, you get it. I think, but we're also, here's the thing, um, to, to do this, all right, you have to know the reason why you're doing it. You gotta be able to point to something, to that inciting event, to that inciting incident, to that one thing that made you want to do it, okay? Because and that's how you can do it even out on the streets if you need to, which my friends and I used to perform on the streets of New York City when we were dancers, so. However, <laughs> however, and there is a very big however, if you are one of those people, and Jonathan and I know a few, I'm not mm. going to name any names, but we know a few, that says, oh, I, I definitely want to be a part of this, and, and I know what I'm doing, and blah, 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 but then you under-deliver because you have a woeful, just woeful amount of ignorance regarding the industry, regarding how things need to go, then you're fooling yourself. And there's a lot of that too. That's unfortunate. Like you really, there's got to be an enormous level of, um, there's got to be an enormous level of, you got to have like introspection. You have to have the ability to go inside yourself and, and figure out why you're doing this. Okay. Yeah. It isn't I about, think... I want to be known because, rah, no, it's not about that. This isn't about that. And it's never been about that. No, and, and when I go back to thinking of Orson Welles, someone that we've talked about before, and is an inspiration of mine, because I cannot wait to make my uh, uh, film that everybody considers the greatest film of all time, then immediately stop doing things and get fat. Um, <laughs> the French, yeah, champagne. <laughs> and getting drunk and doing commercials. That is uh, my ultimate goal uh, <laughs> in life. Uh, <laughs> but it's, that, it's, it's that thing about checking your ego, because even he says, like, the, the actual technical stuff of film, of having to pick up a camera and lighting, anybody can learn. That's not the actual hard part of film. <laughs> it's not the technical Yeah, but part, for example, right? if you can't hold a damn microphone correctly, but you assume that you can, and you can't do things correctly, but you think you know everything, then you're in for a rude awakening. You're 100% yeah. in for a rude awakening. I'm sorry, that's not the way this works. That's not the way any of this works. Yeah, so you have to have humility, right? That's mm -hmm. when we talk about humble. You have to have humility, humility. to understand that um, even if you have a vision, you need to understand that maybe someone knows something a little better. Maybe someone could say, yeah, all right, but if you do the lighting here or do this, it gets better. Or maybe you change the story to have a little better arc here, it gets better. So that humility, checking the ego, because sometimes because artists are humble, Artists grow, they grow egos. And we've all seen a hundred examples of egos. I don't even have to say it. We got a hundred examples of them right now, but they have such a big ego that no one can tell them anything, no. right? No. That's the problem is an ego. It's because we're not humble by nature. We tend to build huge egos. So we have to learn how to keep our egos in check 
in order to make better film and better art. And as I always try to teach people when it's doing the even theater for development and social change, it's all about empowerment, which I love because film is actually empowering. Uh, all of it, tell you, even Absolutely. glory, even the things you think are stupid, like Holmes and Watson, which got a Razzie Award. I can tell you how they can be empowering. But one of those things is that empowerment, theater, performance, film, it's all collaboration. Uh, that's why I really love working with Rick and Ali and our whole team, because they understand the egos can be checked because collaboration really does help. I'm, I'm uh, you know, with that, yeah, I'm all about, hey, check it at the door, because this isn't about, this isn't about, you know, this isn't about your vision, and it isn't about my vision. This is about a collective where we want to succeed. You mm -hmm. know, we all have that same goal. So yep. I don't want to hear about what your what your vision and thought process is if it's going to overshadow everything and everyone else. I don't yep. want any of that. I don't want to deal with that, you know. Um, and I, and, and no, no one, one does. does. No one no does. One does. You're no right. one does. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really, no one does. And when you can figure out that, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring it back to Orson Welles, I'm gonna bring it back to Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, he came from theater too, did lighting on his film, his lighting director came back and just redid it because he wasn't understanding. And Orson Welles only thought that when he was coming for theater, like they tend to do, he's like, no, you just as a director do the lighting yourself. So when he came to film, he thought, yeah, you just still do lighting yourself. But once he actually sat down, talked, and he was asking his lighting director why you do this, he's like, well, these shots aren't going right. You're not doing this lighting. He's like, oh, my bad. I just thought that's the way it worked, right? The point is, Citizen Kane got better and became the best film of all time because you checked your ego a bit, you put things down, and you allow someone else to come along who maybe knows better about a process than you do. Exactly. And that's fine. Exactly. And, you, and he still had a vision, a goal, and a direction. But learning to check your ego, be collaborative, right, and learning humility in a non-humble field is always great. Because when you go into film and you have this passion and this love, a lot of times that ego gets out of hand and that's really a problem. The one thing the one thing that I that I that I live and breathe by is you know don't doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. When and this this is a little bit of a slippery slope I guess. When you're on a set you know and you have a specific idea of what you're going to do don't doubt what you're doing still be willing to listen all right because it's necessary it's necessary to listen to say, okay this might not work on the other hand this might whatever don't doubt yourself um i think that if you have a clear understanding of what you don't know mm -hmm. know what you don't know yep there's no shame in that that actually makes you far better and uh yes. far more adaptable Know what you don't know. If you're not seeing something on a shot, but someone else is seeing something and sees an area for improvement, uh, be willing to look at that objectively. Mm -hmm. But don't doubt yourself because of it. No. You know, you can't... A director is not a director of photography. It's not the same job. Mm -hmm. A lighting director and a director of photography, you know, everybody that does what they need, you know, that has a specific role in, the, in, in a film... You know, it's specialized in that area because that's 
their own passion, that's where they started and that's where they want to finish a lot of the times. Maybe not, but a lot of the times that's the way that it works. So, you know, be willing to listen, but listen objectively, not, oh man, I totally suck at this. No. If you're a director, you're directing the set, but you're not directing every aspect of the set. You're directing the set. You're directing your actors. You're getting your performances. Just like if you're producing, a lot of the times producers and directors, they clash because you have a director that doesn't want to have anyone interrupting, but you have a, a producer that has to say, hey, look, <laughs> you know, you know, we're over budget, we're, you know, you know, we're late on schedule. Those are things mm-hmm. that you obviously need to understand. And that goes, I think, more into the minutiae and the, and the things that like yeah. little details and everything like that. But... You should not doubt yourself. You no. should just be objective. And again, know what you don't know. Yep. If you're clear on that, you should do a wonderful, wonderful job at whatever it is you're doing because you're keenly aware of, you know, this is this is where I need to step back. Yep. And I, and I think that's a great point. You're a director for photography, lighting, whatever anyone's going to do out there who's listening right now in film, because everybody doesn't have to act. Any of you director, films take so many people to put these things together that are all equally important and equally talented that if you start studying your favorite directors, you'll start noticing patterns. They have some of the same DP, the same sound editor. They have some of these same people. And the reason is why, because they learn how to collaborate, grow, can call them out on their stuff or knows what they're looking for together. Together, they make that film that inspired you. So go out there, inspire yourself and inspire yourself with others too who can look at you and make something great because you never know Right. If you make the next glory for the next shot on myself for the next E.T. for little Rick out there uh, who really will be like, man, you changed my life with this one film. Exactly. Uh, so even you if made, other people don't get it. Out, you made me figure out exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I remember uh, talking to Allie and she said that when she first realized that she wanted to be in this industry was when she was six years old watching The Little Mermaid at a movie theater. Yep. Right? Everybody has, everybody has that moment, that unique, unique moment, um, where you realize it's what you want to do. And you know, it's funny because this is a business. Mm-hmm. It's a business, mm-hmm. and you have to think about your bottom line, especially if you're an independent trying to get into a bigger sort of spot where you're getting into distribution and you want people to come to you for you know for producing things and you know you know you want first look deals and everything like that um but you know you have to understand that part of it but the fact is you're not driven by the business aspect and you got to understand like if you're if you're just purely driven by the whole idea that I might make a hundred million dollars, then this isn't for you because no. you can't start thinking that way. You're going to run into like, if you're thinking, man, I'm definitely, I'm just, I'm right now I'm trying to make the next glory because I know that if I make the next glory, I'm going to get that Oscar, get, you know, that hundred million dollar deal. That's not the way you should think ever at all and it's not that you don't want to make money and it's not that you don't want to have deals and it's not that you don't want to make it it's just that you're not actually thinking about perfecting your art 
You're mm-hmm. not thinking about anything other than what's going to come as a result of it. So you don't have anything other than just the one track mind that says, I'm going to make a film. Let's say that you have the money to make a film. That's great. Tommy was, was oh, Wiseau had money to make a film. It's mm-hmm. called The Room. It is called The Citizen Kane of Bad Movies. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to be a running meme your entire life, sure, go right ahead. (laughs) You know? Yeah, so do it for what you love. And I hope that you love it if you're a new filmmaker out there. That's, I think, that's really it. Do it for the love. Uh, Not saying that the business side's not there, but if you're doing it just to make money, you're going to miss out on something. Do it for the actual film to tell the story, deeply be invested in it. Then, when you make a better product, then those things come forward. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Everybody starts. So thank you everyone for sitting with us and talking with us as we kind of tell you a little more about ourselves and our views. For our fireside so, chat. Know, <laughs> yeah, our fireside <laughs> chat for this one. Uh, and, I, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Rick, do you have any plugs for everyone out there? Um, I don't have any plugs, but what I do want to say, and I'm not going to reveal too much about this, is we will be working on our next project uh, very soon, in the coming uh, weeks, actually, so I'm very, very excited about that. We will uh, let you know about it, um, you know, when we're done. Yep. So don't, don't ask questions, just um, keep it on the back of your mind. Keep it in the back Artists of Artists out there, if you haven't known, and Vivian said it directly when she talked about copywriting, be protective sometimes of your of your art. People will take it, so be protective of yeah. your art. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, if you've ever been on Etsy or anywhere else, uh, this is tangentially related, but it's the same thing. Uh, sometimes an Etsy person will come up with a new design for a new purse or new product or something out there. And then after they do it, get a little bit big, you'll start seeing it on AliExpress or all these places that you can buy literally from China that's reproduction, lower quality, but they'll make tons of them and make millions. Can I get it on Wish? original artist who came out with the idea, nothing. They're not even credited. So when we're being vague sometimes, it's for that same reason. (laughs) Hey, hey, Jonathan, Jonathan, can I get it on Wish? Can I get the version of that product on Wish? Probably. Awesome. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. So you'd be surprised. And there's not a lot of recourse you could do a lot of times. So that's why sometimes if you see even smaller independent labels or big ones go ahead, oh, we don't want to say nothing about it. They're not being rude. They're not having too much of an ego. It is just a problem that we have to, unfortunately, in exactly. this business work about. So, um, but our, you know, you're going to love our project. We can mm-hmm. tell you that because we know you're going to love it. And yep. um, if you don't, we're going to come get you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and as we're working on our new projects, I'm just going to say, watch our old ones, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my Logging time. <laughs> <laughs> and we said it a million times. Find it out. You do. But go on our Instagram. We have it there. Please give a shout out to Allie. Give her some suggestions on what you want to hear us talk to uh, about. Uh, if you want more, if you're looking on Instagram, you say, oh, I want more of those videos. Which I'm not done doing all his crazy costumes. Let me know. Let me know you're liking the costumes. I, I have fun doing it. Right. Uh, for those who are listening, I got my glasses, my turtleneck, and my pipe today. Uh, it's a good time. You're missing the visual aspects. They're great. I love the I love the white Triskelion background on there, man. It's amazing. Yes, yes, it's, it's great. So we have <laughs> stuff. 
I am a performer at sometimes, right? I come from a performer background, even though I'm doing behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so I like to perform. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. We're going to be off working on our next project. So come and join us next week on Cinemagic. Cinemagic.